Hey, and welcome to episode three of the I Am Anxiety podcast. Once again, it's great to talk to you. So today we're going to start talking about the recovery process, which will be great news for anyone who's currently stuck and uh, dealing with anxiety on a daily basis. I know that um, back when I was very stuck, uh, anytime I had sort of found uh, a new article that I thought might be helpful or a new piece of information, I sort of try and jump to the bit about recovery and what I needed to do. I just felt so stuck and wanted to get out of it so quickly and so desperately that, you know, that promise of recovery was, um, was just like a shiny prize in the distance that I was grasping for. So uh, hopefully if you've, um, you've listened to the first two episodes, uh, you've understood why it's um, important to have quite a bit of knowledge first before we start talking about uh, the recovery process, simply because we really can't actually begin to recover and apply some of the, the recovery techniques until we've got a, a very uh, good uh, understanding of our anxiety and a good understanding of why we have it and why we've become stuck. So I won't labor the point. I have talked about it quite a bit in the first two episodes, but really knowledge very much is power when it comes to anxiety and when it comes to recovery from anxiety. It's only when we, we can really understand why and how we've become stuck in this cycle of worry and fear, this never ending cycle that, that's like quicksand. You know, the more we struggle, the, the deeper and deeper we get and the worse we become. Only when we understand why we have become stuck and why we stay stuck, can we really start to understand how to become unstuck? Without that knowledge, we're just, we're sort of just going round and round in circles, like on this hamster wheel of anxiety. Struggle, 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 more struggle. And, um, you know, we're just searching for a way out and we, we don't understand why we got there in the first place. And it's, it's that knowledge, unfortunately, that without it, we really don't, um, or are not able to find a way out of it. So if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, I really do encourage you to go back and have a listen, uh, just so that you can have that basic understanding uh, before starting to, um, uh, to listen into to the, the steps to recovery. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna break down the recovery steps the same way I, I have in the book. And essentially for me, after I had acquired all of the knowledge, it, it, I sort of had a bit of a light bulb moment really, a bit of a brainwave when I, I remember thinking, I feel like I can really get a sense of what I need to do and how I need to do it and the way I need to do it to get out of this. And I remember sort of writing it down and, and articulating it and I broke it down into two steps. So the first step, the first thing I remember thinking, okay, this is what I need to do. The first step was I needed to take the fear out of my symptoms so that I could reduce the quantity and the severity of the I'm in danger messages that my amygdala was receiving. So you'll remember from last week and the week before that the amygdala is that part of the brain that initiates our fight or flight response, which floods our body with the stress hormones, including cortisol. 
and and that's essentially our, our big problem uh, with anxiety. As uh, you know, that amygdala gets bigger and bigger, the more that we stress and worry and the more cortisol we flood our body with. And so it gets better at doing its job and we get stuck. So the first thing I needed to do was to take the fear out of my symptoms so that I could reduce the quantity of those you're in danger run uh, type of messages that my amygdala was receiving, which in turn would slowly start to reduce the quantity of stress hormones that were being uh, or that my body was being flooded with and that would slowly ar- allow that part of my brain to return to normal. So we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that first step shortly. The second step that I uh, identified and articulated was that I had to then take the hyperactivity out of my amygdala to stop it from being so good at doing its job. You'll remember that the more cortisol that was present in our body, the bigger our amygdala became. you remember that the number of neurotransmitters in the amygdala actually increased. And so it increased in size, the more stressed and anxious we became, which meant it was better at doing its job. It did its job more often. And so essentially became a little bit hyperactive. So we need to take the hyperactivity out of that amygdala to stop it from being so good at doing its job, which would ultimately then help the other two parts of the brain that we've spoken about return to normal. So when the amygdala is not as hyperactive, that hippocampus that helps us recover from stressful situations and that gets smaller, the more anxious we are. So if the amygdala isn't as hyperactive, that hippocampus can return to normal. And then also the prefrontal cortex, that part of the brain that really controls all those things that that make us human, our ability to think rationally and have, um, you know, apply critical and logical thinking to different situations and react in a way that's uh, applicable to the situation that can then also return to normal because when the amygdala is hyperactive and when the amygdala is running the show in the brain, that prefrontal cortex doesn't really get a look in and um, all of those things don't really work the way that they're supposed to. So those were the two steps and I'll repeat them as we go through, but you know, basically those were the two steps that I had articulated that I needed to work through in order to help me to recover. So I talked a lot in the first two podcasts about the importance of understanding the physiology of anxiety so we could better understand and apply psychological treatment options. So both of those steps that I've, I've just articulated, those two steps to recovery, they are essentially psychological treatment options. And as we start to unpack them, it will become clearer why they're psychological treatment options. But I just wanted to circle back and sort of be really clear that, you know, because I've mentioned that quite a lot. So all of this um, information and talking about the brain and how the brain controls the anxiety, anxiety response in the body, that's the physiology that I've spoken a lot about. So we now understand the physiology of anxiety. And that understanding of the physiology now lets us better apply the psychological treatment options, uh, which really are these two steps that I've just talked about. So that's the connection there. You know, when I've talked about uh, understanding those two parts, that's what it looks like in in practice. So I'm going to talk about the first step initially, and we'll get to the second step in future episodes. So just to repeat, so that first step uh, is basically taking the fear out of our symptoms so that we can reduce the number of I'm in danger messages that the amygdala is receiving. So 
I'll talk about that first step today in quite general terms. Uh, so, so applying it to our anxiety generally or our anxiety as a whole. But when it really starts to have a, a, a strong impact is when we start applying it to our individual symptoms. So next week, I'll start then breaking down the symptoms like brain fog, insomnia, dizziness, busy mind, shaking or trembling hands, twitching eyes, depersonalization, if you're experiencing that as a symptom. So I'll start breaking down all those symptoms individually and talking about how we can remove the fear from those symptoms to get us on that recovery journey. But today we'll talk about it generally, just to sort of position the idea and have a, a more general uh, discussion about what that actually looks like and what that means. So what do I mean by taking the fear out of our symptoms and how do we do it? Essentially what it means is we need to stop struggling and fighting against the way that we feel. The way that we feel is awful. I understand as much as, as, as you do, anyone who might be listening, how utterly debilitating it can be to spend each day caught up in the anxiety cycle. You know, I just as a reminder, I lost my job. I got sent to the emergency ward. My life was, it was pretty terrible. You know, it really, it, anxiety controlled every aspect of my life. And every single day I fought and struggled against that anxiety. I wanted to get rid of it so badly. How could you not? You know, it's when it's making each day so unbearable, all we want to do is fight our way out of it, get rid of it, get through it. You know, people talk about, um, you know, fighting against an illness. Um, very often, if someone has something like cancer, you might hear them say things like, I'm going to fight this illness. And for something like that, that's a more physical illness, that can be a great approach. You know, it really musters your strength and energy and your inner resolve to really get ready to do battle with this, with this illness and give it everything you've got. Unfortunately, though, when it comes to mental illness, we're basically fighting with ourselves. We're fighting with our mind. And what that fight does is just feed the loop and the cycle of anxiety and fear because fighting is resistance. Fighting against the way we feel continues to reinforce the message in our mind that we're afraid of the way we feel. It continues to reinforce the message that we don't want it. We want to get rid of it, that we can't stand it, we can't bear it. We can't go on another day feeling like this and living with this. So that fighting just continually reinforces that fear, which unfortunately causes the amygdala to release more and or to prompt the adrenal glands to release more and more of those stress hormones that then feed back up into the brain and make uh, the amygdala get bigger and stronger and better at doing its job. So to take the fear out of the symptoms and to, to reduce the amount of I'm in danger messages that amygdala is receiving, we need to try and give up that fight a little bit. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should like the way you feel, that you should enjoy having anxiety every day, that you should enjoy having insomnia, enjoy being afraid when you walk out of the house, feeling dizzy, having a racing heart every time you meet someone. I'm not, of course, suggesting that we can or should try and enjoy that, but we can work with ourselves to just get a little, a little bit more comfortable with it, to bring a little bit more acceptance, and acceptance is the key word here, a little bit more acceptance to the way we feel, 
so that we start taking the fear out of those symptoms. And as I said, we'll look at it at a symptom specific level next week to really break down how you do it for each of those symptoms because it's hard. It's difficult to do it. You know, how can you bring acceptance to insomnia when you've had two hours sleep and you have to go to work? It's really difficult. So we will look at it at a symptom level. But for now, I just really want to convey the notion that that first step to recovery is about bringing a little bit of acceptance to the way we feel. And the way that we can do that is using the knowledge that we've now acquired about why we're unwell in the first place. When you understand what's happening in the brain and the body, you can start to look at it as, you know, it's a chemical reaction. Anxiety is a chemical reaction um, that ultimately produces these awful thoughts and feelings that we can't stand. But nevertheless, it is a chemical reaction. And so when we can apply that knowledge and that understanding that we now have as to how that chemical reaction takes place and how it manifests in the body, we can start to use that to allow ourselves to bring a little bit more acceptance to it gradually and to remove some of the fear from it. One of the things that, that helped me quite a lot was to start thinking of my anxiety as an illness that had a specific set of symptoms. And I remember one day coming up with this comparison about what if I think about my anxiety the way, for example, I might tackle something like the flu. Now, just to be clear, I'm certainly not saying that anxiety and the flu are the same, but they both are an illness or a sickness that have a unique set of symptoms. We know what the symptoms of anxiety are. The symptoms of the flu, I'm sure we all know as well. Runny nose, aching muscles, sweating, generally feeling a bit terrible. The thing that we do differently when we're dealing with anxiety versus when we're dealing with the flu is that with the flu, we accept our symptoms. We don't spend every minute of every day fighting against the symptoms of our flu wondering why we have them, wondering how we can get rid of them, wondering how and why our life has become so terrible and why we're being punished and how we're supposed to get through the day because we have the flu. We accept that we have the flu. We don't like it, but we let it run its course and we get out of its way. We don't panic every time we sneeze. We don't wonder what's wrong with us every time we wake up in a sweat. We know it's the flu. We know that's what happens when we have the flu. We let it be there. We don't like it, but we let it be there. And eventually it runs its course and the body returns to normal. When we can start approaching and thinking about our anxiety in the same way, it's so incredibly powerful. It really isn't any different. It's just that the symptoms of anxiety feel that much more unbearable than the symptoms of something like the flu. But there nevertheless are symptoms that exist because of that illness and if we can get out of their way a little bit let them run their course let them do their thing we can slowly start to recover because we remove that fear we start to bring a level of acceptance to those symptoms that removes the fear that starts to break the cycle and slowly by taking the fear out of those symptoms we start to reduce the amount of i'm in danger messages that that amygdala is receiving there's a very um, famous psychiatrist, a, a Swiss psychiatrist called Carl Jung, 
and he was the person who first coined the phrase what we resist persists and it's so so very appropriate for our anxiety illness because we really resist it with every fiber of our being from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed at night we're constantly in a state of resistance trying to push away and get rid of the way that we feel get rid of these symptoms you can't get rid of symptoms of an illness by fighting against them it, it just unfortunately doesn't work that way if it did none of us would have anxiety because man we fight hard we fight very very hard to get rid of it but still we're stuck so fighting and resisting doesn't work you know if you've had anxiety for a while you can probably sit you know for a minute and just contemplate that and and feel for yourself how true it is fighting and resisting your anxiety doesn't work it only makes you feel worse so if you're listening to me talk about acceptance and thinking how the hell can i do that how can i try that perhaps just think a little bit about how long you've spent fighting and resisting and where that's gotten you it certainly didn't get me anywhere i just stayed stuck and became more and more frustrated as time passed so it's time to give something else a try stop resisting try bringing a little bit more acceptance on a daily basis to your symptoms and to the way that you feel start thinking of those symptoms as being part of an illness an illness with its own unique set of symptoms that will eventually run their course and as the body starts to recover they will slowly start to um to diminish and to leave your body and your mind and um you know the more that we can do that the more we start to give our mind a break we start taking the fear out of those symptoms and as i said the quantity of of the the i'm in danger messages that make their way to that amygdala um are reduced so that's the first step to recovery it doesn't sound like a lot but it's actually a huge step and i'm only going to talk about the first step um over the next few weeks because really if we can get the hang of that first step we really do start to break the back of anxiety and the second step which is taking the hyperactivity out of the amygdala you know to stop it being so good at doing its job so that the other parts of the brain return to normal once we then bring that in we really um then are very clearly on the road to recovery and we'll be starting to feel much much better But the first thing we need to do is start really understanding that first step of taking the fear out of those symptoms uh so that we slowly 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 start to bring that um acceptance um and start to reduce those I'm in danger messages. So next week I will start talking about it from an individual symptom perspective but I'm going to leave it there for today because I think it's a it's a it's a big um it's a big message to take on board if you've had anxiety for some time it's actually quite big to contemplate that recovery might come from doing nothing i remember when i first started to get a sense of that might be what i needed to do it was so opposite and against everything that that my mind was telling me that i should do and it took you know quite a bit of contemplation to really get to grips with the idea that well David you've been fighting for years and you've gotten nowhere 
maybe it's time just to do nothing, just to try and be okay with it. Another thing that's quite helpful is to, you know, on the bad days, when we really feel like, you know, things can't get any worse, it's sometimes helpful to remind ourselves that we're still here, we're still okay. We don't feel great, life feels pretty unbearable, but we're okay, you know, we're still here, we're still turning up day after day. You know, these symptoms, as terrible and awful as they feel, they don't generally do us any harm. We can be so afraid of them and so fixated on them that, that you know, we really do become terrified of them, but it can help when trying to apply a level of acceptance, acceptance to the symptoms just to remind ourselves that, you know, we've had them for a long time and we're still here. They haven't killed us. They haven't damaged us in any way. They're just, you know, basically at the core fundamental level, they're just terrible thoughts and terrible feelings. But that's all they are, thoughts and feelings. So if the idea of accepting them seems completely insurmountable and something that you just can't do, it's also quite helpful to just remind ourselves that, you know, th th this is thoughts and feelings that we're talking about. As often, as awful as they might feel, you've been experiencing them for a long time and you're still okay. So applying a level of acceptance to them, you will still be okay, you know. You won't like it at first, it will feel tough, but you will still be okay. And slowly it will start to reduce the way that the amygdala is switching on and flooding the body, which slowly gets you on that road to recovery, which is exactly where you want to be. So that's it for today. Uh, as I said, next week, we'll start looking at individual symptoms. I'll probably start with brain fog um, because that's a particularly bad one that affects most of us. And we'll start looking at how we can bring a level of acceptance to brain fog and how we can actually do that um, you know, as we're going through the day, feeling dazed and confused and some of the techniques and tips and tools specific to brain fog that I applied uh, in my recovery that might also help you. So have a wonderful week and I will talk to you again soon. Cheers. Cheers.